Grab your Bible with me and open to Mark chapter 6. That's where we are this morning. Father, we, we come to you now to hear from you and the words that you have spoken to us. Lord, we just want to continue to bless the name of God, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, for who he is to us. Lord, we ask that with our hearts, with our minds, with our whole being, we would set him before us today. May he be our vision. Lord, may it, his presence fill us. May he give us joy, assurance, encouragement, strength for today. Thank you for your precious word. Help me, Lord, as we look at it and open it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 6, if you would stand with me, we're going to start with verse 7. And he, that's friend of Jesus, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Be seated. Do you enjoy packing? I don't mean firearms packing. <laughs> I mean, do you enjoy packing for a trip? That probably depends on how far you're going or where you're going. It's a work. Packing. And when, when we, my wife and I, prepare to go to India, it's literally months in the making when it comes to thinking what we're going to bring with us. Because you not only have to think what you need, but how much you need of it, uh, how much does it weigh, how much space does it take up, because right, you've got a limited amount to work with. And then you got to think, where do I put it? Should this go in my carrier because I'm going to need another plane? Or can this not go on the plane? It's got to go in my luggage and the suitcase. So it's a constant shuffle from day one to the day of departure about what you're going to include and bring and not bring. If I can give you a little bit of advice, okay, take this for what it's worth. Okay, just two things. Okay. Number one, if you think you have enough space, you don't. That's the first rule of thumb. Because you know what you can find? You get to that last day of packing, and you realize, there's a lot of things I didn't factor in. Like that whopping shaving kit that somehow you got to fit into that suitcase. Puts it overweight. Okay? Here's another thing. You can bet on this. You'll probably at least, you'll probably bring at least one thing. 
some of us probably like five to ten things that you had absolutely no need of. And you'll get back and you'll be like, well, well, that was a waste. I'm glad I hauled that for five miles to the airport. I didn't even use it a single time, right? We, we overpack. Well, let me translate that for us today and what we're looking at in, the, in this passage of Mark. How do you pack for ministry? I'm not talking like missions trips and what you should bring along with you in terms of that. I mean, how do you pack to do ministry? What do you need? Or what don't you need? Did you know Jesus has a packing list for ministry? And listen, I think it's relevant because we're going to do some ministry here on October 31st. We're kind of aiming on that right now. And Lord willing, many more things after that in the future. You need to know what's essential, right? What do you need? And it's not accidental that Jesus gave his disciples very specific instructions. They are specific, aren't they? As to what they needed to bring with them. Okay? And think about this. These have been preserved for us, these words, these instructions. So of all the things that Jesus said and did, and John says, you know what? If you can write them down, the world cannot contain all that was said and done about Jesus. But these things, these things the apostles and those who worked with the apostles said, we're going to remember that Jesus said this stuff. And they wrote this down. So think about that. This is significant. Okay? This has been preserved. So let's take a look at these verses together right now. Just back up to the end of verse 6. Right? This is after Jesus has been rejected at Nazareth. And it says, And he went about among the villages teaching. This is now the, the third tour of Jesus going about from village to village teaching. But one thing you need to know is that he's not doing this alone, right? And his purpose has never been to work solo. He's going to continue to teach, but along the way, he's also investing in the lives of a very particular group, right? A group of men, right? And it says in verse 7, and he called the twelve. Remember them? The twelve? If you wanted a specifics on what their names were, you'd have to go back to chapter 3. That's when Jesus first summoned them to himself. And his purpose at that point in chapter 3 was, I want you guys to be with me, right? I want you to learn from me. I want you to follow me around. And then I'm going to send you out. So that's been Jesus' intention. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to send you. Okay. All that Jesus, therefore, has done so far and what we've been reading about has not just been for the benefit of those who encountered him along the way in the crowds, but it has also been for the training of these particular men. So now, now Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to send you guys out. Not permanently, right? But for a season. Because notice verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So Jesus arranged with them that at some a particular place and time, they're going to get back together again and we're going to we're going to meet up. So my, I want you to be gentle with your spouse, or I want you to pray. Call them up, and I want you to pray with them. Or I want you to volunteer for this. But you say, but Lord, but Lord, listen, do you trust the wisdom of Jesus and his timing? 
Your Lord is wise. He knows what he's doing. Which is quite surprising when you think about where these men were at in their own journey. What do we know about the disciples so far? Have they been like rock star disciples? Well, most of the time, not all of them, but most of the time, they've been behind the ball, trying to catch up with where Jesus is at. They've chided him, been sarcastic to him. Later on, you're going to find out they still don't get it. And Jesus says, are, are you still, are your hearts so hard? My point is here, did they have it all together at this point? No. Actually, the more you think about it, you're going to be thinking, Jesus, this sounds a little premature to be sending them out now. You mean, you want to send these men? Maybe you should wait a few chapters and then think about it. But here's the, here's the thing, guys. The ministry that God gave them right here and that he gives us from day to day is not based on our credentials. It's not based on how much merit and experience we've earned and gained. It's based on this, right? His call. I've called you. That's what it's based on. And his equipping. What they equip you for? Right? So instead, let's say, all right, all right Lord, I hear what you're saying. Let's do this. Because when the Lord calls, he furnishes and he equips us to do what he wants us to do. So look at that verse again, right? Verse 7. And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out. Look at this now. Two by two. So when Jesus sends his men out, he doesn't send them alone. He sends them in teams. Isn't that me? Don't you feel better already? Really, Jesus is just following the counsel of Scripture. You remember this from Ecclesiastes? It says there, two are better than one. It's just true. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Now, this is true of all kinds of endeavors, right? Are you guys hearing me? Okay, just check. Like, of course, I'd say the most famous example, right, is uh, the Lord of the Rings, right? Mr. Frodo. Mr. Frodo would not have gotten very far if it wasn't for his loyal, true friend, right, Samwise Gamgee. But it's especially true of, of anyone who engages in ministry, right? It is safer. You have someone with you. It is wiser, right? You can, you can counsel each other. Your gifts, you'll find, will complement each other as you're serving the Lord. And Jesus' method was clearly accepted because everywhere out from here on out, you're going to see at least pairs of people working together. you got Peter and John. You see them in the book of Acts, right? Or how about, we know, Paul and Barnabas. And then later, Paul and Silas, right? Jesus' method reminds me that we're not meant to walk and to do ministry alone. When you join to the Lord, he joins you to his church. And the fact of the matter is there's far more that we can do together than we can do by ourselves. So, for example, this neighborhood outreach on October 31st, imagine one person trying to pull something like that off. It just, well, the bottom line is it wouldn't happen because that has to be, (laughs) to do something like that, it has to be a collective effort. But 
Working on a team does require some things, doesn't it? Right? You've got to have a common goal. Otherwise, you're both on your own end. You have to have some care and consideration for each other and therefore be able to trust each other. Perhaps the reason we don't do as much together as a whole is we haven't built up that trust with each other. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, here's the thing. You build up the trust by doing things together. So that's why we're doing things together, right? So going in teams, it gave them support as they went out on their journey, but it also gave them credibility. You say, how did that work? Well, especially in Jewish culture, for any matter or word to be established, it had to be by the, quote, testimony of two or three witnesses. That's from Deuteronomy. Okay. So it wasn't just one guy, one lone ranger saying something, but there were two here. There were two witnesses. Okay. So Jesus sends them as teams, both for support both for, and for credibility. Uh, but there's a second thing about Jesus' method here, right? He sends them with someone and with something, right? And he gave them authority. Authority. You say, well, what do you think that means? It sure sounds nice. Is it, is it just Jesus saying, well, well, by word of mouth, well, you have my authority. Um, and, but, but what good is that, practically speaking? What does that mean to me? Is it just words? I was remembering when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he told them, he said, when we came, we came not only in word, but in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. And what happened? What happened to the people of Thessalonica? Well, they went from serving idols, which were demons, to serving the living God. So when Paul preached the gospel, it was accompanied with power, right? People experienced God. It was authority, right? To heal, authority to free. And they were now going to be extensions of Jesus himself. That's what he's doing. He's given them his authority. And this is how you and I need to understand ourselves. You are an extension of Jesus Christ himself, right? You represent him. And therefore, when Jesus' authority is relied on, when I am prayerfully dependent on God, God works, right? We have seen, I have seen strongholds in people's lives come down as the gospel is preached. And they're changed, right? People are freed from addictions, lifestyles. And sometimes people even are made well. They're made whole, at least within, and sometimes even physically speaking. And I know we're careful to not presume that God will heal. We know that God may not heal physically. But let's also not be careful to dismiss or downplay the power of the gospel as it is preached. So here they are. Time has come. So imagine you're one of the 12 now, right? And you're like, whoa, okay. Um, I'm his representative, right? Jesus turns, imagine Jesus turns and he says, all right now, it's time. I'm going to send you out to do what I've been doing. Okay, you've got a team. Look around. No, really, look around. Here's your team. Here they are. You like them? Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect, okay? But like you, they're called and equipped. You've got his authority, right? So look at that. He has called them, 
They are organized, two by two. They are authorized. So, all right, let's get packing, right? We're, we're going to do this. Okay, um, we're going to need some things, right? We're going to need a little bit of these, and we're going to need some of that. And, oh, yeah, don't forget this over here, right? And then you get all your stuff that you think you need for ministry, and you, you lay it out on your bed there. Wow, this looks really good. I, I can anticipate every little thing that might happen during ministry, right? Okay, so we're ready to go, Jesus. But, but Jesus isn't done prepping, right? So imagine that he comes in and he, and he looks over what, what you've got here and he goes, all right, um, grab your coat and your toothbrush. Let's go. Just leave the rest. And you go, really? That's all? That's, that's all I need? I put Jesus' instructions in a modern way so you'd get the effect. It's, it's really kind of crazy. Especially if you're a, a planner like me, right? Anticipating what could happen, what you might need. But look at it in verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. Now look at this. No bread, no bag, no suitcase. You get it. And here's one to really throw you for a loop. No money. You mean, no money to go buy bread. It'd be one thing if Jesus said, just don't take food. No money in your belt. But to wear sandals and, and not put on two tunics. This is the, the first part of Jesus' instructions. And it's about what to take. But actually, the emphasis is what not to take. Did you catch that? Be sure you don't take this with you. So get this, Jesus is sending out with them with the barest, most simplest supplies. Now, who leaves for a trip without money or without even an extra piece of clothing? Why was Jesus being so severe on them? Here's how I'm going to put it. The success of their ministry, of impactful ministry, is not going to be on account of how much stuff they have. Do you know what our temptation is? It's to rely on our stuff, our supplies, our numbers, our strategy, whatever, and not on God. That's what we do. You know, that's why God told Gideon, listen, Gideon was about to go out and fight the Midianites who had been dominating the people of Israel. And you know what God told him? You have too many. Too many? You know what we say? Is it possible to have too many? Is it possible to have too much money in the bank? Too much volunteers for a ministry? Is it possible? I didn't think that was possible. I mean, we want to win, don't we? And God took 22,000 down to 10,000. He still said, no, that's too many. And so 10,000 went down to 300. 300. Bare minimum. Why? Why? Because Israel needed to be reminded that the victory was not in your human effort, in your stuff. 
It's in me. It's in the Lord, right? So here it is. Minimal provisions makes for what? Maximum faith. I got to trust God with what I'm going to do here, right? Minimum provision makes for maximum faith. Their needs would come as they engaged in the work. Okay? So they're not simply to preach faith, they're going to live it. It's real, right? So when you and I get are getting ready to do some ministry engaging, like we are soon, what you need most, and what perhaps we are most prone to forget is this, that number one is you need to be utterly dependent on God. Stuff won't make it a success. Now we need things. Right? We want to make this place, for example, a welcoming and a blessing and a joy to come in. But the point is, we better not get to a place where we're relying on that. Like, just get it up and let people come and listen. Yeah, we can do that, but it won't be ministry. Let's not fail to look to God, right? So I'd say this. Impactful ministry is dependent on God. If you're going to write some stuff down. Impactful ministry is dependent on God. So first on Jesus' packing list was this. You pack some faith. So you're going to have to let go of some of this other stuff. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that where you go, I'll take care of the needs there. But we miss that, and we replace it with other things. Secondly, it's very interesting to note the few things that Jesus did permit them to take, right? What were they? Except a staff, right? But to, and then verse 9, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So just one, a tunic was an undergarment. That was the part that was on your skin. So it would be easy to put on two, right? And, you know, take an extra with you. Jesus, just, just one. One will do. Well, not only were they practical, I mean, these are helpful items because a staff would have been used for walking and for protection. Sandals because the roads are rocky. But I want you to notice this connection. Um, you can turn there. Look, Put your finger here and look at the book of Exodus for a second. The book of Exodus, chapter 12. In Exodus 12, the people are preparing to eat the very first Passover. They're still in Egypt. And God tells them in verse 11, okay, in this manner you shall eat it. Now listen, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So did you, did you catch that? It's basically the same things that Jesus told his men to take. Have a staff, put sandals on your feet, and here in Exodus it's have your belt fastened, which if you had a tunic on, you'd have a, you'd have a belt around it. Okay? So what does that tell us? Okay? What's happening here in Exodus is the people are being prepared to leave urgently, right? This is going to happen quick, so be ready to go. In the same manner... The disciples also are to be 
ready, on the move with the message of the gospel. Be ready to move in haste, okay? The more you brought with you, the more it would distract from your primary goal, which was to do what? Well, for these disciples, proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. And yet, how often is it that in our own outreach, that goal gets sidelined? We never end up getting around to the main thing, right? Too often. Impactful ministry, therefore, is gospel central, and it's gospel ready. It's gospel central, and it's gospel ready. So let's pack. If you're going to pack something, pack urgency. Get it? Pack urgency. Now, we're not in need of traveling light, right? Because we're not going by foot here and there. And the ministry, for example, on October 31st is, well, we got people coming to us. But I see the principle of readiness, right? You need to be prepared. So the externals, all those other things that we want to do to make it look nice, need to be done, they need to be finished so that you're free to engage, right? You're free to get the good news, the main thing, to people. So you need to be thinking to yourself, how am I going to keep the gospel central? How will I be ready if I can be present on that night to meet people where they're at, be a blessing to them? So Jesus not only takes, tells his men what to take, really what not to take, but notice this also, how to act, right? how to behave. This is the second part of instruction, verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Okay? Now why would Jesus charge them about staying at the same house? Well, it's not hard to imagine right, what would happen in maybe some of these towns, right? They'd be invited, they would go and they'd proclaim the gospel, and some people would be receptive and say, hey, please come, we want you to stay with us while you're here visiting. And along that time of their journey or ministering to that same town, you know what might happen? Well, someone else might come and say, hey, we'd love to have you guys at our place. Why don't you come and stay with us? And uh, either one of those guys would be like, hey, yeah. Uh, you know, they got some natural hot springs at that house out back. Or have you seen the view behind their house? They got their own vineyard over there, right? They got their own hot tub. They got their own flat screen television. They, we could have our own private bathroom over there. And before you know it, right, it's no longer about the gospel, but just finding a, a comfier place to be. Two things would have resulted had they done that. One is the original guests would have been dishonored. They, they would have been embarrassed. Well, I guess we weren't good enough. And then, oh, I see what their goal really is. It's really not about this message they came to proclaim, but what they can get out of it. Right? They can stay at so-and-so's nice house over here. And the second result is that it stifles their own mission, which is to be proclaiming. Are we sellouts for comfort? I do appreciate some of our missionaries. I remember he didn't make a point of it to tell us, but it came out in his own story that, that there were moments when, when Oleg would go to Russia and he would sleep literally on the floor, either just to make ends meet, right? Willing to do that. Because ministry sometimes is uncomfortable. I would say this then. Impactful ministry is content. It's content for the sake of the gospel. It's going to be uncomfortable. 
In fact, I would say lessons in ministry is one after the other of letting go, right? So that the gospel is truly given that place of honor and genuineness, not just in what we're saying, but how we're living, right? So we don't want to diminish that by letting our comforts get in the way, okay? And, oh, there are comforts for us, right? The comfort of just staying home, like on a cold night. I'd rather do that. I'd rather sit in my recliner. Or how about the comfort of only talking to people that you know? There's comfort in that, too. Or how about the comfort of just retreating to my own bubble? I'll just stay in my corner. Well, Jesus, you realize what he did? He prevented them from going to their own bubble because they had no money and they had no lodging. So guess what? They're going to have to be among people. They're going to have to trust in the benevolence of others as they carried out their mission. Lastly, Jesus tells his men here, verse 11, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So that's strange to us. What does it mean to shake the dust off one's feet? Well, it was a symbolic action. Okay? And it was very custom for Jews when they had been traveling to a Gentile area to when they came back to the promised land before they came in to symbolically shake the dust. from What they're saying is we disassociate with the false worship and practices of the Gentiles at places we have been in. We're not, we don't stand with them. And it also was a foretelling that if they continued in those actions, judgment would come upon them. But the key words here are this. He says, shake the dust of your feet when you leave as, and listen, as a testimony against them. In other words, when you do this, I want you to do it as a witness. I want them to see it. This wasn't something they got to the edge of town and did for themselves. It was a witness. And what the purpose was, was to provoke people, because they would have known what that meant, was to to provoke them to come to repentance. Wow, this is serious. So really, it was a merciful warning to people. Listen, they're saying, your judgment is now your own personal responsibility. We've delivered the message to you. Okay. So you say, well, it wouldn't make much sense for us today to shake the farm dust off at people, right? It's not exactly a custom people are familiar with. Well, what would it look like for us? Well, remember it was an act of mercy, right? So for us, the equivalent would be something like with a broken heart, keywords, with a broken heart, warning other people that apart from Jesus Christ, here's the truth, we all stand under judgment. So if that is done with heartfelt concern, Right, you're really concerned for that person, then they would be able to feel that and, Lord willing, come to grips that they too need to repent. So I would say this then, alas, impactful ministry, if it's going to make a difference, it's willing to mercifully warn others of what's at stake. So I think Jesus is saying, pack truth, but pack it with love, pack it with mercy. So what became of the 12? Well, verse 12, 
So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And look what happened. Verse 13, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So as a result, this became a continuation of Christ's work. Many demons were cast out. Many who were sick were healed. Now, there's no reason that the expansion of Christ's work should not continue today, right? especially now that we know and have heard what makes for impactful ministry. And it starts with us, right? Saying, well, it's not about how good we are at preparing, but how dependent we are on God, right? And so we can do that today by making it a lifestyle, a culture. We're going to be dependent on God to do ministry. So let's pray together towards that end. Lord Jesus, what can be true in ministry can also be very true in life. In other words, we have a lot of false dependencies. We can trust in our bank account. We can trust in doctors. We can trust in people, spouses, friends, so forth. And all the while, miss replacing, using those things to replace the place that you should have in our life. So that maybe there is someone here who has not said, you know what? I need the Lord. I need Jesus to work powerfully in my life. Set me free from these things. Lord, if that is true, may they call out to you today. May they hear from you. And for us, Lord, as we continue, as we seek to be extensions of you in this community that we live, oh God, do not let us forget that we can do nothing apart from you. That there is no good apart from you, Lord. That we are branches and you are the vine. And we need you to be flowing through us. So Lord, we're coming to you. We are coming to ask today for help. We're coming to ask today for wisdom. We're coming to ask today that in all that we do, whether it's at the end of this month or the month after that or the years to come, Lord, that we do it trusting in you. That we do it with the intentionality of wanting to see the gospel at work in people's lives. So first and foremost, Lord, we pray that we might trust ourselves, that we might trust in you for what we do. Lord, we ask this by the power and grace of Jesus Christ.